our loving Father in heaven, praise, honor, glory, and adoration be unto your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your love, and your kindness, which you have graciously bestowed upon us by giving us life and the basic necessities we need to sustain ourselves. We thank you especially for the provision given to us through your Son, that we may have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit working in our lives and transforming us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we still have a long way to go. And every day as we fellowship with you, we ask even for today that you will feed us from your word, that we may be built up more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please, Lord, I beg you, grant me of your spirit and put your words in my mouth, not for my sake alone, but for the sake of your children whom you sent your son to die for, that we all may be blessed in Jesus' name of God. Amen. and Courage, September 20. Build, Repair, Restore. They that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of parts to dwell in. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 12 In the work of reform to be carried forward today, there is need of men who, like Ezra and Nehemiah, will not palliate or excuse sin, nor shrink from vindicating the honor of God. Those upon whom rests the burden of this work will not hold their peace when wrong is done. And neither will they cover evil with a cloak of false charity. They will remember that God is no respecter of persons, and that severity to a few may prove mercy to many. They will remember also that in the one who rebukes evil, the Spirit of Christ should ever be revealed. In their work, Ezra and Nehemiah humbled themselves before God, confessing their sins and the sins of their people, and entreating pardon as if they themselves were the offenders. Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He made no pretension to high title. He was a reformer raised up for an important time. It was his aim to set the people right with God. Inspired with a great purpose, he bent every energy of his being to its accomplishment. As he came into contact with evil and opposition to right, he took so determined a stand that the people were roused to labor with fresh zeal and courage. The work of restoration and reform carried on by the returned exiles under the leadership of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah presents a picture of a work of spiritual restoration that is to be brought in the closing days of this earth's history. God's remnant people, standing before the world as reformers, are to show that the law of God is the foundation of all enduring reform and that the Sabbath of the fourth commandment is to stand as a memorial of creation a constant reminder of the power of God. In clear, distinct lines, they are to present the necessity of obedience to all the precepts of the Decalogue. Constrained by the love of Christ, they are to cooperate with Him in building up the waste places. They are to be repairers of the breach, restorers of paths to dwell in. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Build, Repair, Restore. And it is 
a devotion that encapsulates a work that we have been talking about for some days now, the work of reform that is to be done today. Isaiah, in his day, received a prophecy concerning a work of reform, which was to be done before the coming of the Lord. This prophecy has a dual application. Daniel specifically mentioned this work of reform when in speaking with Gabriel, Gabriel told him about the 490 years that was given to the Jews. Gabriel said in the book of Daniel 9 verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. And then he lists out what these 70 weeks are to be used for. He said, he said to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy and then he told him when it is to start he said know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build jerusalem unto the messiah the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built and the wall even in troublous times. This prophecy pointed to the work of salvation which was to be done by the coming of Jesus and his death as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is the prophecy that was fulfilled by Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel and all those who worked with them. This work of reform was to be done in preparation for the first coming of Jesus in order for the stage to be set for the great and grand work which had been planned from the foundation of the world, it was necessary that there was going to be a people who the Messiah will have here, whom he would call his own, who will work along with him to complete this work of reform and help to spread the news of the gospel of salvation, which was the hope of all men, the desire of all ages. In God's plan of salvation, he intended that the whole nation of Israel, in cooperation with the Messiah, will work as missionaries to the rest of the world, telling them of the Savior who had come to die for their sins and had brought salvation to all men. The leaders of Israel, the priests who were the main people involved in the sanctuary services, were supposed to be in the forefront of this work. But before this work was done, as we have seen, there needed to be a sanctuary. This work had been completed, the building of the sanctuary, by Zerubbabel. The next part of the work to be done is the work of reform. As described by Gabriel, the people of Israel were supposed to bring in everlasting righteousness by finishing the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. In doing this, the vision was to be sealed. 490 years, also known as 70 weeks, were granted to them to do this work. This is the reason God worked behind the scenes to ensure that the decree was given to the, for the autonomy of the Jews so they can have the freedom to function by their own laws and their religious liberties were not infringed upon. Since 457 BC, when the decree was given, Satan had ensured that it will not be a smooth sailing for them. With the instrumentality of people like Sanballat, Tobias, and Jeshem conniving with disloyal Jews actuated by self-interest, this work moved slowly. But as Gabriel prophesied, the walls were built in troublous times and even the streets. Now, having done this, there was one more work to be done, which was dependent largely on the Jews themselves. It was the work of finishing the transgression to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. This is the final work of reform done by Ezra and Nehemiah. Before the first coming of Jesus, it was necessary that this work of reform in the life, spiritual reform, was done. And these things were written as ensamples or types for us, clearly showing us our own duty as we prepare and await the second coming of Jesus. In this devotion, we are going to be looking at the work of reform done by these men as a type of the work of reform which we also must do in preparation for the second coming of Jesus. So let us go into it. The first principle of reform 
is that we are to have that mindset of Ezra when he had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. That's Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. There is absolutely no point beginning any reform without this mindset. It is because many people who claim to be reformers today do not have their hearts prepared to seek God's law and to do it that we have strife among ourselves. People pick and choose what they want in the word of God. They drop what they want and pick what they want. But the true reformer will have respect to all the word of God. He will be like Jesus that said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. They will not throw away any part of it into the trash heap of time, claiming that some part of God's word is irrelevant to us today while other parts are relevant. Ezra, as we will see, did not do this. A reformer is to be thorough with the word of God, leaving no stone unturned. After the dark ages, as the 2300 days prophecy was also coming to its end, God raised reformers who also had this same principle that Ezra had. But there were those who didn't have this principle. John Robinson, a Puritan pastor, when speaking to his congregation, repeated this principle to them, to them when he said, Remember your church covenant in which you have agreed to walk in all the ways of the Lord made or to be known unto you. Remember your promise and covenant with God and with one another to receive whatever light and truth shall be made known to you from his written word. But withal take heed, I beseech you, what you receive for truth, and compare it and weigh it with other scriptures of truth before you accept it. For it is not possible the Christian world should come so lately out of such thick anti-Christian darkness, and that full perfection of knowledge should break forth at once. That is from Great Controversy, page 292, paragraph 3. Did you hear the words of this man? To walk in all the ways of the Lord made or to be made known unto you. That is the spirit of reform. So the, this is the first step in reform. Having taken this step, we may open our Bibles with our hearts prepared like that of Ezra to seek the law of God and do whatever we read regardless of how crucifying it is to our flesh and also to teach others to do the same. The key parts of reform done by Ezra and Nehemiah are also the key parts of reform for us today. Another lesson we learn for our time is that there should be a combination of the clergy and the laity in this work of reform. The clergy is not supposed to oppose the laity, just as Ezra the priest did not oppose Nehemiah the ordinary man who was no prophet, no priest, no leader in the spiritual things of Israel. But he, Ezra embraced the work that Nehemiah was doing. For how could he do this if he was really studying his Bible? He could not. It is only a minister who is actuated by another spirit other than the spirit of Christ that will stand in opposition or look with suspicion at the work of another person for no other reason than that the person is not a part of the priesthood, he's not a minister, he's not a part of the clergy as we would call it today. Nehemiah and Ezra walked together and they both had an influence on the people to bring about a thorough reform in their lives. Ezra and Nehemiah were at the forefront of the work in their day. The two of them represent what the clergy and laity can accomplish if they would work in cooperation to bring about a reformation in the church of God. Israel was in apostasy since before the days of their captivity. For many years, the people had gone far away from God and they had departed more and more from God. Children had been born who did not know God and his law. The work to do was huge. At an earlier time, when Ezra had first gotten to Judah, it was brought to his notice that some had married unbelievers. So how did he do this work? They read plainly from the word of God. In hearing, in the hearing of the people and they broke it down to them so that all could understand this is a model for us on how to do the work of reformation now let us read how ezra did it in the book of nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1 this is after they have finished building the streets the walls and jerusalem had been finally restored the spiritual reformation now began nehemiah chapter 8 reading from verse 1 to 6 says 
and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law amen book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel and Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law i'll stop here and continue later this means that if we must do reformations we need to come together for camp meetings we need to come together organize programs and give ourselves to it how long did ezra read from morning till midday what was he reading was he reading the books of theologians was he reading some other non-inspired book he was reading from the law of Moses there can be no reformation without the law but let me continue verse 4 now says and Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Matithiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Maseah on his right hand and on his left hand Pediah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadana and Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen with lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the lord with their faces to the ground amen reading from great controversy page 478 paragraph 3 it says blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly but his delight is not in movies not in words of men but in the law of the lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper psalm chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 it is only as the law of god is restored to its rightful position that there can be a revival of primitive faith and godliness among his professed people thus saith the lord stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old parts where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16 end of quote without the law of god restored to his rightful position what was the rightful position on the pulpit the church is the pillar and ground of truth and the word of god is truth the law of the lord is truth where is it supposed to be in its rightful position the pillar and ground of truth is the church and what is supposed to come from the pulpit is only truth and the law of god be it's not drama that's supposed to come from the pulpit it is not entertainment that is supposed to come from the pulpit these things have displaced the law of god from its rightful position if we must have a reformation there should be no giving of dry sermonizings in the church there should be a reading of the law of the lord the commandments of god but that's not all in nehemiah 8 verse 7 it now says and jeshua and bani and sherebiah jamin akub shebatai Hodijah, Messiah, Keita, Azariah, Josabed, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Amen. So while the law is being read it must be broken down because the law of god is so broad and comprehensive in fact the word of god says exceeding broad this is why solomon had said earlier that the whole duty of man is to keep the commandments our whole duty to study that law break it down today the lord has given us the spirit of prophecy to help us understand the way that we can keep the law of the lord the different facets and species in which these laws can be interpreted and that is what we should do breaking it down today 
in the days of Ezra, there were all these men's name I just mentioned. They were breaking it down. We have the spirit of prophecy. It has already done that work for us. All we need to do now is to research. Go into those books and research to understand the law of the Lord. And what were the results of this thorough Bible study organized in Israel? This camp meeting that they had. Let us read now. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 1 to 3. It says, Now, in the 24th day, so how many days camp meeting is this? They started in the first day of the seventh month when we read uh, in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2. It says, Upon the first day of the seventh month. Now, where are they? 24th day. How many weeks have gone? This is over three weeks. Almost a full month. It says, Now, in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and with an earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Amen. A day you can divide into four. So, for a fourth part of the day, how many hours would that be? That is six hours. They were studying the word of God for six hours straight. And then for another six hours, after they have understood their iniquities and their sins, they started to confess their sins and to pray to God to ask for forgiveness this is always what will accompany a faithful preaching of the word of god a reformation is totally impossible except there is a faithful preaching of the word of god ezra and his companions did not only preach but they gave the understanding of the law to the people it is impossible for such a work to be done without results there was confession of sins and actual steps were taken by the people to ensure that their lives were ordered according to the law which they had now understood and from what we read in nehemiah 9 verse 2 the first step they took is they separated themselves from all strangers why they have understood just like paul said it that if we must be god's people and he will be our god he says touch not the unclean thing be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers and that we must come out from among them and be ye separate then will god will receive us that's what he says so they did that work they separated themselves from strangers strangers here doesn't mean non-jews it means people who were not following the law of god this is the result that always accompanies the faithful preaching of the word of God. Reading from Great Controversy, page 461, paragraph 1 downward, it says, Wherever the word of God has been faithfully preached, results have followed that attested its divine origin. The Spirit of God accompanied the message of his servants, and the word was with power. Sinners felt their consciences quickened. The light which lighted every man that cometh into the world illumined the secret chambers of their souls, and the hidden things of darkness were made manifest. Deep conviction took hold upon their minds and hearts. They were convinced of sin and righteousness and of judgment to come. They had a sense of the righteousness of Jehovah and felt the terror of appearing in their guilt and uncleanness before the searcher of hearts. In anguish they cried out, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? As the cross of Calvary, with its infinite sacrifice for the sins of men, was revealed, they saw that nothing but the merits of Christ could suffice to atone for their transgressions. This alone could reconcile man to God. With faith and humility, they accepted the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Through the blood of Jesus, they had remission of sins that are past. These souls brought forth fruit, meat for repentance. They believed and were baptized and rose to walk in newness of life, new creatures in Christ Jesus, not to fashion themselves according to the former lusts, but by the faith of the Son of God, to follow in His steps, to reflect His character, and to purify themselves, even as He is pure. The things they once hated, they now loved, and the things they once loved, they hated. The proud and self-assertive became meek and lowly of heart. The vain and supercilious became serious and unobtrusive. The profane became reverent, the drunken sober, and the profligate pure. 
the vain fashions of the world were laid aside. Christians sought not the outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Revivals brought deep heart searching and humility. They were characterized by solemn, earnest results, appeals to the sinner, by yearning compassion for the purchase of the blood of Christ. Men and women prayed and wrestled with God for the salvation of souls. The fruits of such revivals were seen in souls who shrank not at self-denial and sacrifice, but rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer reproach and trial for the sake of Christ. Men beheld a transformation in the lives of those who had professed the name of Jesus. The community was benefited by their influence. They gathered with Christ and sowed to the Spirit and to reap life everlasting. It could be said of them, Ye sorrowed to repentance, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. This is the result of the work of the Spirit of God. There is no evidence of genuine repentance unless it works reformation. If he restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, confess his sins and love God and his fellow men, the sinner may be sure that he has found peace with God. Such were the effects that in former years followed seasons of religious awakening. Judged by their fruits, they were known to be blessed of God in the salvation of men and the uplifting of humanity. End of quote. Have you experienced what I just read now? This is what a reformation and a revival should consist of. It is not about noise making and jumping and dancing and then having this feeling and saying, oh, the spirit is in me and all. No, it's about visible changes in the life, in the character, as we just read. It has to touch your dress, the fashion. It touches your lifestyle. Your tongue is touched. It becomes sanctified. Your demeanor, the way you walk, the way you carry yourself, it is touched. Your principles of life changes. That thing which you once loved, which was evil, you now hate. And that which you once hated, which was good, you now love. This is the fruit of a true revival. And then there's lots of praying and confessing of sins. This is the reformation. It is about a change of lifestyle. Nehemiah's prayer later rehearsed the history of Israel from the time of their captivity and how God delivered them from Egypt. This prayer I'm referring to is in Nehemiah chapter 9. He rehearsed and confessed the sins of their fathers in the wilderness in continually rebelling against God and manifesting a stubborn distrust of his power. He also spoke of how God singled them out by giving them his law, statutes and commandments. That's in Nehemiah 9 verse 13 and 14. He said, Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai and speakest with them from heaven, and givest them right judgments, and true laws, and good statutes, and commandments, and madest known unto them the holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servants. Then if you read from verse 26 down to 38, he started to confess their sins. He said, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs, and slew their prophets, which testified against them, to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in the time of their trouble when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou givest them saviors, who saved them out of the hand of our enemies. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies, wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness that thou givest them, and in the large and fat land that which thou givest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. And in verse 38 he said, And because of all this we make a sure covenant, and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. Amen. Those who are interested in doing God's will are not afraid of consequences 
and crosses because they have understood that it pays to serve God and it will not be well with them to live in ignorance or turn away from God. Now let us talk about the points of reform that they touched in their lives. Among one of the first reforms already done earlier by Ezra, which we have seen in previous devotions, was the marriage reform. This reform had a very heavy cross in it, yet the people did not shrink from doing it. The people of Israel had forgotten God's command that prohibited them from marrying unbelievers. Ezra, when he heard this, was in anguish and was pained by the news and ensured that something was done about it. It took them some time, but they did it nevertheless. Will you do that today? Many of us don't see things through the eyes, the sanctified divine eyes of the Lord. To see sin for what it is and run away from it. Do we tremble at the word of God? Does Ezra's reaction when he plucked off his hair and his beard surprise you? If it does, simply because we don't see things the way he does. We need to learn to tremble at the word of God and see things the way he sees it. And we need to learn to make a covenant with God. This was another point of reform that the people made. They covenanted themselves to put away all their wives. Ezra 10 verse 3 says, Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. They were not doing it because they loved to do it. They, they had just said, we are going to read whatever we see in the word of God. And what was it they saw? That they had sinned against God in marrying unbelievers. And they said, we have to repent. They didn't just say, oh Lord, forgive me. And then they went continuing in the, with a the wife that's an unbeliever. They separated from the unbelieving spouse. In Ezra 10 verse 6, it says, Then Ezra rose up before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water. For he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. In verse 9 down to 14, it shows us how they organized a time for themselves to look at everybody's case one by one and give counsel on what to do. It says in verse 10, And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, You have transgressed, and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers, and do his pleasure, and separate yourselves from the people of the land, and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. But the people are many, and it is a time of much rain, and we are not able to stand without, neither is this a work of one day or two. For we are many that have transgressed in this thing. Let now our rulers of all the congregations stand, and let all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of God for this matter be turned from us. Do you feel it? That is one problem with our generation. We don't see the fierce wrath of God upon us. Many things are going on around us. We attribute it to everything but our disobedience. Do you think that the wars are happening around us and all the evil that befall us is just happening by coincidence? The Bible says that he that fears God will fear no evil thing. Then why are these things happening? Could it be that the judgments of God is on the land because we have departed from his commandments, especially those who are Christians, because of our sins, because of departure from his commandments? These people felt it. Do you feel it? Do you understand it? Or do you read the word of God and read the things that are there and God's threatenings and it doesn't move you? You think that God's threatenings are empty and you attribute the judgments or the things happening to the Christian world today to every other thing apart from our unfaithfulness? Let us repent. Our unfaithfulness brings evil things to us. Like Jeremiah said, your iniquities have withheld good things from you. But these people understood it and I pray we all will understand it and reform. They appointed a delegation. A delegation was appointed to deal with the issues and in the next two to three months, the matter was dealt with. This is the attitude of those that desire to do the will of God. When we want to do God's will, we set our hearts to do whatever we read, no matter how crucifying it is to the flesh. Do you understand how much of a cross this must have been to the people to separate from their wives? Is it because they didn't love them? No. They, for them to have married those women, they loved them. They were attached to them. 
but they separated nonetheless. What does that teach us today when we are reforming? It teaches us that whatever it is we are attached to, we should not, because of our attachments, refuse to cut it off from us. They didn't hate their wives, people. They didn't hate their children. They loved them. But they had read the word of God and they had covenanted to do whatever it is they see. And as they read, they saw it. But they did not run away because of how hard it was. They did not run away because of the cross. Because they understood that if you must follow God, you must carry your cross and follow him. When you read the word of God in his law, do you run away because of the cross? If you do that, then you do not have that spirit of Ezra to walk in all the ways made known or to be made known you don't have the spirit of a reformer because a reformer has that one purpose i will read and whatever i read i will do regardless of how crucifying it is to my flesh regardless of all the losses i will incur regardless of the pain it will cost me i will carry my cross another point of reform was the social reform we've just seen it now anyway which is separating from their wives but um they also had to separate from the mixed multitude and this one will probably surprise you in nehemiah 13 verse 1 to 3 it says on that day they read in the book of moses in the audience of the people and therein was found written that the ammonites and the moabites should not come into the congregation of god forever because they met not the children of israel with bread and with water but hired balaam against them that he should curse them howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from israel all the mixed multitudes wow do you know that today with the kind of mindset many of us have not all of us we like to spiritualize the word of god do you see how to literally take the word of god the ammonite and the moabites will not come into the congregation of the lord what did they do exactly what they read they did not try to say mm, maybe he meant that it is in those days not today do you know how many years ago was this thing they were reading the law of the lord this was over a thousand years ago since the days of moses this is perhaps maybe uh i don't know about 1500 or so but let me just say about a thousand years apart and yet they picked this book of the law and followed it to the letter without trying to spiritualize its meaning exactly what they saw is what they did let that be a lesson to some of us who read certain passages of the scripture like first corinthians 11 first timothy chapter 2 reading from verse 9 to 11 and all that all those passages and we are trying to think mm, what does this thing mean it's not really saying we shouldn't do this or do that that's not the spirit of ezra the bible should be taken literally unless a figure of speech is used they read here the Ammonite and the Moabite. It's no figure of speech. Ammonite is Ammonite, Moabite is Moabite. Separate them from you. And they did exactly what they did, what they read. Of course, they understood that the reason was that they did not accept God. But they also understood that if there was an Ammonite or a Moabite that has believed in God and accepted him, then the person is permitted into God's house. They understood that, of course. But they separated themselves according to what they saw in the law of the Lord. Separate them. Because even though some of them were not, maybe the Ammonites and Moabites were not following God, like, remember, Tobias was an Ammonite, they were still coming around to those places. They separated them from the house of the Lord now another point of reform is systematic benevolence in the book of nehemiah 12 verse 44 to 47 it says and at that time were some appointed over the chambers for the treasures for the offerings for the first fruits and for the tithes to gather into them out of the fields of the cities the portions of the law for the priests and levites for judah rejoiced for the priests and for the Levites that waited, and both the singers and the porters kept the word of their God, and the word of the purification. So here they restored the returning of tithes and offerings to sustain the priests. Another thing they did, which is very important in our day, is to separate themselves from false priests, false pastors, false prophets. Nehemiah 13 from verse 7 to 13. This is after Nehemiah had finished the reform, he traveled, then came back after some time, maybe some years, and then he saw that there were some changes in the way that things were done. He had restored systematic benevolence, the priests were being sustained, but then there was an impostor that came into the temple 
reading from Nehemiah 13 verse 7 to 13 it says, And I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God, and it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. He, then he cleaned the house. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. What does this represent? This represents the false people who are so-called ministers in the house of God. They are not necessarily out there as self-supporting independent ministries. Where was Tobiah? In the temple of the Lord. We must understand that just because somebody is so-called ordained pastor or a local pastor in the church doesn't mean that they cannot be Tobias. Look at what happened in the days of Nehemiah. They were brought in people who were not real priests and you can know that today by their fruits. That's what Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Check their teachings, check their character. Don't say, oh, because they are pastors in my church or they are pastors in my denomination, whatever they say I will do, I will give them my tithe. Here, what did Nehemiah do? They were giving tithes to Tobias. And they were giving tithes to, this was done by Eliashib, who was a real priest. And he invited this Tobias and even made him live in the temple of God. Today, such things are happening. And it would be very naive of us, very naive for us to see such things happening and still insist on sustaining Tobiah in the church. Nehemiah 13 verse 10 says, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. Then I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil unto treasuries. And I made treasurers over the treasuries, Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and of the Levites, Pediah, and next to them was Hanan the son of Zachor, the son of Mataniah, for they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. Amen. So let there be a reformation. Don't let Tobiah deceive you and just because he's sitting in the temple of the Lord and then he will be sustained by the tithe, while the real people who are supposed to be doing the work of God are fled and they are not being sustained by the same work, by the same means that the Lord has provided for them. Another point of reform, perhaps the most important, especially in our day, is the Sabbath reform. It's so important. Nehemiah 13, when Nehemiah came back, he had to do a reformation in the Sabbath. Not that they didn't know which day was the Sabbath, but in the way the Sabbath was being observed. He said, in those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and laden asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish, and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah in Jerusalem. So what is taking place here? On the Sabbath day, there was buying and selling. Secondly, they were working on the Sabbath, that is the treading of wine presses. Now, Nehemiah contended with them, verse 17. He said unto them, What evil thing is that, is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers toss, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut, and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gate, that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath. So here is a Sabbath reformation, not just in knowing the day being the seventh day, but in proper observance of the Sabbath. There should be no buying and selling on the Sabbath according to this. And he referred them to the days of Jeremiah. Remember in the book of Jeremiah 17, that the real reason God burns down the temple was because of this same matter of buying and selling on the Sabbath day and working on the Sabbath. Go and check it in Jeremiah 17. God said, if you don't stop this buying and selling on Sabbath, I will bring the Chaldeans and they will raise this temple down, burn it down with fire. Not one stone will be left upon another. You will not be able to quench the fire. And what was the reason? The Sabbath. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, when God finally sent Nebuchadnezzar through Nebuchadnezzar, of course, to 
destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and Jerusalem's walls, what happened? The Bible records that the land observed its Sabbath. The Sabbath was the issue at that time and the Sabbath is still the issue today. Not just saying, oh, it's the seventh day, but properly observing the Sabbath. And what did Nehemiah do when they, it became? It began to be dark because the Sabbath begins in the evening, from evening to evening. As it began to be dark, he shut the doors. In other words, you must learn to shut the doors of your own life and focus on the Lord. Do the holy things. Have a holy convocation on the Sabbath day and do not involve in your own pleasure or in buying and selling and doing work that you should not do on the Sabbath. We are told that all our work should be done in six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. But it was more than that because even while we try to do right, there will always be some, always be some people who want to call us on the Sabbath, do certain things that will make us want to break the Sabbath. How did Nehemiah deal with this? In verse 20 of Nehemiah 13, it says, So the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice because he had locked the door. Verse 21, he says, Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge you about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath. And he prays, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Amen. And all of us who are involved in reforming in our own lives and reforming in the lives of others may also make this prayer. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and spare me according to thy, great, uh, thy greatness of thy mercy. Amen. And then, Nehemiah still saw some other things to contend with. He saw some people who had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and Moab. Remember that they had reformed in this manner. Some people now went back and he said, he, and their children speak half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon king of Israel sin by this thing? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. This is just beautiful what Nehemiah is doing here. This man loved his people so much. And this is the spirit of every reformer. Love for the people will not make you keep quiet when you see the evils happening around you. Like we read in Conflict and Courage, page 269, paragraph 3, Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He made no pretension to high title. He was a reformer, raised for an important time. It was his aim to set his people right with God. Inspired with a great purpose, he bent every energy of his being to its accomplishment. As he came into contact with evil and opposition to right, he took a so determined a stand that the people were roused to labor with fresh zeal and courage. End of quote. You see, scenes that defy rebuke will be there before us. We must have the spirit of Nehemiah that will rise up to the occasion and not keep silent but speak against these things and cause changes. Are we to go and pluck people's hair like Nehemiah? No. But we can speak with our words. We can pluck off people's hairs with our words by simply telling them the faithful word of God. And that was what Nehemiah did. He told them. This is what Solomon did. He referred to the word of God. You see how Nehemiah's reformation is always referring back to the past. This is what our fathers did. See how God reacted. That is how we know God's will. And to us today, we can read the stories of the past, just like Nehemiah. See what our fathers did. Look at God's reaction. If it is good, then go ahead. Look at God's reaction to this thing and what his commandments is. Not just God's reaction, but sometimes God just lets things be. We have to check the principles of his commandments and make a reformation in our lives through God's word. Other points of reform we have already talked about in the diet and the dress. Look at these people that Nehemiah reformed. Their language was a problem. They spoke two things. This represents the mixture in the life of Christians today. 
part of the world and part of God. And he looked at this thing and saw this is a problem. These people have married, they have mixed with the world, they have joined with them. Their principles is a mixture of Christianity and worldliness. And it was a problem. And he had to bring about a reformation in their life. We need to bring about a reformation in our own lives. We need to build, we need to repair, we need to restore. Like we have seen, this is not just a work of talking, but a work of action. There needs to be many changes in our lives, and I pray that we all shall lay our hands to this work, and the Lord give us grace to accomplish it. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this example, holy and worthy example that we have just read concerning these men. We pray, Lord, that you will make us, all of us, Nehemiahs for our own time, in our lives and in the lives of others. And give us grace, Lord, to bear whatever crosses will come our way as we make a reformation in our lives. Help us, Lord, not to spiritualize your word to a point that we cannot even understand and obey you like we should. Help us, Lord, not to run away from your word because of the difficulty or change its meaning because we see how difficult it is to practice. Please, Lord, give us the grace that every difficulty shall be surmounted. Show us the way because the truth is some passages of the word we read, we know what it's saying, but we don't know how to do it. Or even if we do it, it's so crucifying to our flesh and so difficult that sometimes we start to think, is the Lord really telling us to do this? Maybe he doesn't mean it. Lord, please help us that we should not doubt your word, but we should believe it and follow everything as it is written. Give us the grace for this and also help us to understand the parts of your word that are figurative, to understand the context of everything that we may render you pure and true service. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Amen.